Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast. We're giving you a bit of a preview before we launch. I am here with the one, the only, Showdown Joe. For those of you who don't know him, and you really should, he was a personality on Sportsnet. He was nominated for MMA Journalist of the Year in 2009 by uh, Fighters Only. Joe, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. I got I got cut off by my my own audio here. I started to hear myself, and I was like, "Uh oh, what's going on?" But but we are clear. We are good. We got a lot of fights to talk about, Joe. Of course, we kick off our first show here, and there's like what three events. I mean, this takes yeah. me back to one international fight week. Uh, I don't know if it was two years ago or a year ago when it was. I think it was the first time the UFC had two events in one week, and I never forget my producer, my camera guy. Everybody was exhausted, and we all woke up, the, I think it was the Saturday morning or the Sunday morning. We're like, uh, yeah, we have another full day to do here. Imagine this week being down there covering this, three events, back-to-back-to-back, three weigh-ins. I mean, unbelievable fight week. It's absolutely crazy. If, if anyone's ever been down there during fight week, especially with this one here, if you think you can go to every single event, good luck with that. And I don't mean the actual UFC events. I mean everything the UFC is putting on, whether it's you know downtown Vegas uh, on the Strip. It's just unreal. It's crazy to be down there. Yeah, fight week is becoming rapidly bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Three straight events, five title fights. I'm really glad the UFC got over the idea of doing that two events in one day thing that they, they teased a couple of years ago where I think they ran like, an event in Europe and an event in America in the same day. Really glad they're not doing that, but still three big shows. We've got everything from, you know, the, the attraction circus, circus freak fight of Brock Lesnar coming back (laughs) to, uh, to, you know, the highest level of MMA. It's going to be pretty crazy, but we'll go ahead and get started. And of course, guys, we are launching fightful.com this week. Joe, not a, not a better time to launch a pro wrestling MMA crossover website than this week, probably. Well, thank you, Brock Lesnar, for coming out at the right time. Uh, I think uh, he probably knew we were doing this, right? Come on, let's be honest. I think that he and some some Canadian 
people that, that, that started this site because he is representing Canada now. I'm starting to piece all the puzzle. I, this is all coming together. It's a, it's a conspiracy, it's a, but hey. The secret is officially out. We tried to keep it under wraps, but yeah, Brock's Canadian. He's probably going to get a, a Canadian flag tattoo, a big maple leaf on his back, but uh, I shouldn't say anything. All right. Couldn't be worse than any of his other tattoos. Right? <laughs> no comment. He's got, a, he's got a sword on his chest. Um, yeah, this is this is a big night, a big big week rather. We start off with UFC Fight Night ninety. Rafael dos Anjos, Eddie Alvarez. Now, something interesting about this fight before you know before we even really get into who's going to win. Rafa, or Eddie Alvarez said that he did one hundred and fifty rounds of live sparring for this fight, and that he doesn't believe in overtraining. What do you make of that, Joe? Well. I mean, he's been around the game for a long time. He's not a guy that's going to be easily knocked out. But you put in 150 rounds, uh, he's expecting to go toe-to-toe with Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, yes, I'm going to say Dos Anjos. That's a Canadian in me. Most people will say Dos Anjos. So uh, if I screw that up along the way, anyone that's Canadian will smile and understand that that's what I do. But, uh, you know, to put in that kind of time, I, I, I respectfully disagree with it. But I'm not the guy stepping in the cage. I'm not the guy that's basically going to be going toe-to-toe with the world champion. So Eddie Elvis probably has a game plan there. He wants to go full, hard. Uh, you know, 25 minutes. Uh, he's done it before, but you know, he, he's especially with those body shots. I love his the way he uses the body and he strikes the body. But um, Dos Anjos to me is on a completely different level right now. I mean, this guy is an absolute. He he is one step short of a murderer right now. I mean, he is absolutely insane the way he competes. But Eddie Oliver's man, he's got that Philly blood in him. You know, he'll, he's never going to give up. And the only way I think Dos Anjos is, is going to beat him will have to be by submission. Now, can he knock him out, Sean? Let's be honest. Yes, he can definitely do it. I mean, you saw what he did to, to Anthony Pettis. He punished Anthony Pettis big time. But, um, you know, I, I can see this one going at least championship rounds for sure. The beautiful thing about MMA, particularly MMA in 2016, you just never know. You just never know. Over the past two years, we saw GSP almost get beaten by, by Johnny Hendricks. We saw John Jones almost beat by Gustafson. We've seen Aldo knocked out in 15 seconds. We saw Bisping win the middleweight title when nobody was even giving him a puncher's chance. So you never know, but you look down the murderer's row that, that Rafael Dos Anjos has walked over the past two years, Ben Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Donald Cerrone. And you could look at Pettis and say, okay, maybe he's, he's regressed a little bit. Um, Eddie Alvarez, he's beaten Pettis, Melendez. He, he dropped that fight to uh, Cerrone that, you know, and then, he beat Michael Chandler and that Michael Chandler uh, win is looking more and more impressive. But the last time that he really made a statement and really dominated somebody was I think 2012 against Patricky, Patricky Pitbull. He does not have boring fights. He there, Eddie Alvarez always makes a fight of it. So I feel like he'll be aggressive, but uh, I don't know if that's the right type of mentality to take into a, Rafael Dos Anjos fight and if he's the, if he's fought 150 rounds of sparring man I would want to put that to work um yeah the the way that Rafael Dos Anjos has fought over the past two years if you would have told me that this is how he would be in like maybe 2011 I would have said no way in his in his early 30s that's kind of unbelievable so uh who you got in this one Dos Anjos 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Dosanios only because he's the champ right now and, and the way he's competed since he's been on this run to become the champion. I mean, the guys looked absolutely fantastic. Now, Eddie Alvarez, in my opinion, uh, if you're going to beat a guy like Dosanios, you've got to pick and choose your, your, your opportunities to go in there and try and, and finish him off. I mean, that maybe that 150 rounds was not just you know conditioning the body, which is what you really want to do is condition the body because Dosanios is going to be in your face. He may be calm. For two, he may do the first 30 seconds of a round calm, but eventually he's going to close the distance and he's going to want to stand and bang. And then that's what Eddie Alvarez probably wants. Um, what he probably doesn't want is to actually go to the ground with Huffy Allen. But, you know, it, like you said, this is mixed martial arts. Anything can happen. It's been a very – it's been – I'm going to go with over a decade, maybe more, where I stopped predicting fights in terms of this is what's going to happen. You know, I, I remember Gray Maynard telling me one time in an interview that we did up here, he's like, Joe, you know what? Paper doesn't fight paper. You know, it doesn't matter what, what we break down, what we look at, the stats and stuff like that. Paper doesn't fight paper. And that's when I came up with my analogy. And whenever I used to call fights or whenever I do anything, you know what, guys, girls, let them step into the cage. Let them step into the cage or the ring, referee, signal them, and let them go at it. We just don't know. A fight's a fight. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of conversations that I've had with Faraz Zahabi and George St. Pierre when I've gone to TriStar. And we just, you know, we, we look at fights and we break down fights and, in the end, we say the same thing. Bah, whatever, doesn't matter. And, and George always has the best analogy. He always says the same thing. Doesn't matter what happened in the training camp. It's not the best fighter that wins every night. It's the best fighter that night. So that's what's going to happen. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's so many psychological things. Uh, look, I've seen fighters, Sean, heavily favored prior to walking into the octagon, show up to the arena, and you know they start peeing. And they start peeing. And got to go to the bathroom again. It's the third time. It's the fourth time. They enter the cage dehydrated as a heavy favorite. They can't go seven minutes. They can't go a round and a half. I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen guys almost back out of fights before they get to the octagon, before they get to a ring years ago, because they had, get this, runny eggs for breakfast. Messed up their stomach, screwed things up. I know stories about guys and, you know, having really bad situations with their wives, with their kids there, uh, you know, girlfriends that, you know, should not have been on the trip with them. Anything can happen before these guys step into the cage. The smallest thing uh, in the dressing room. I mean, there's stories of Nick Diaz telling everyone in his room, in his dressing room, to basically shut up. He wants silence. And the room next to him is just blaring music. And he's walking into other rooms, apparently, telling those guys to turn the music down because he can't focus. So the smallest thing can happen uh, in any mixed martial arts fight. Now you got, you're talking about two guys headlining an event. It's the first main event of, of, of three back-to-back or three shows. It's, anything can happen. Who knows? Man? It's just it's that's the beauty of mixed martial arts. We can break it down as much as we want. Doesn't matter. Referee, step out of the way. Let them go. Rafael dos Anjos was slotted to face Conor McGregor in the fabled red panty night. Now he is headlining a card on UFC Fight Pass. I don't I don't know how to approach this. I don't know how to how to really put this into question. How do you think he felt losing that fight and then being told, hey, you're going to be on Fight Pass? You're headlining Fight Pass, but you're on Fight Pass. I can address this in a few different ways, Sean. And, and, and you're privy to an article that I put together that's going to be up on, on Fightful uh, probably within the, within the next uh, 24 hours or so. It's not the fights necessarily that make sense. And, you know, people think, oh, Joe, are you, are you taking a shot at, at Dana White and Joe Silva and Sean Shelby? No, no, no. I, I would never do that. Those are, those are guys that have always given me the time of day and have treated me like gold. Um, but the reality is not every fight makes sense. And what often does make sense is the money fight. 
It's the money fight. And, and, and you know, Dos Anjos wanted that Conor McGregor fight. Conor wanted that Rafael Dos Anjos fight. It's, it's the money fight. It's the fight that makes most, the most money for both parties involved. And the fact that, you know, he, he goes from Conor McGregor to, to now headlining a, a fight pass show and or, you know, it's, it's, on, it's in, on Canadian television. It's going to be airing um, on, on one of the networks. But, you know, he'd much rather be on a pay-per-view headlining versus Conor McGregor, win or lose, because that paycheck would be absolutely huge. I mean, ask Dominic Cruz and, and Uriah Faber before this last fight what it would have been like to fight in an Anderson Silva Chael Sonnen fight and the amount of money they would have made competing in the octagon that night. Mixed martial arts is all about money. And, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of hinting at the article, but just take a look at the women's bantamweight division. It's all I have to say. Before you think you know who the right person is based on the rankings to take on the champion, think money first. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Co-main event of the night, Roy Nelson taking on uh, Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis has been on some kind of tear. Now, three wins in the heavyweight division is impressive really at any point because you could, you could breathe in the general direction of a heavyweight and it might knock somebody out. But uh, Roy Nelson had Roy Nelson struggled in that he's never defeated a top 10 fighter in the UFC. Uh, Derek Lewis isn't quite there yet. He's on the cusp of becoming maybe top 10, top 11 fighter. Uh, this is going to be Derek Lewis's biggest test yet and maybe a test to see if Roy Nelson can still hang what are you looking for in this fight? Well, I'm looking to make sure Roy Nelson's chin is still there, and I think it still is. Uh, this is the this is the fight that's going to put Derek Lewis on the map, at least with the uh, with many of the not just the hardcore fans, but slightly above that hardcore level, lower than the mainstream, but somewhere in between there. I think this is the fight that potentially will put Derek Lewis on the map because if he takes out Roy Nelson, uh, it's a big win, it's a big victory. Uh, it catapults him in the rankings pretty much. Uh, although, like you said, the heavyweight division, there aren't many guys in the rankings per se, but it'll, it'll move him up there pretty nice. But at the same time, Roy Nelson just has to be Roy Nelson. He's just, you know, sometimes for, for, for argument's sake, when, when I've talked to Roy and just in, in general, he's, he's too calm for my liking. I don't think he, he really shows off what I've always, you know, busted his chops for, which is his jiu-jitsu. I really think he could he could have gone on a tear uh, in a different manner in his, in his mixed martial arts career if he'd have just used his jiu-jitsu, which, I mean, he's, he's had a black belt from, from Henzo Gracie for, what, I don't know, eight years now? Like, yeah. he just doesn't use it because he's told me a million times, you know what, why use it when, when everybody wants to see knockouts? Everybody wants to see me finish people. I was like, well, what about the victory? What about the win? You know, you keep beating guys. If you can beat a guy in that, you know, in the top 10, top five, you move that much closer to a title. He's been there. He's been on the cusp before, but, you know, why do you want to stand and bang with Derek Lewis? You got full of fighting guys that are that are that are young and hungry like that. Just take them down on the ground, get on top of them, smother them, pound them away, and and finish them off. But um, you know, it, it, Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson's an enigma. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Big country is big country, and I'm still going to pick him to win this fight. To be honest with you, but you know, it's got to be careful. Derek Lewis is no joke. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that of Roy Nelson's eight UFC losses, seven are by decision. He's won one decision. The one guy to knock him out is Mark Hunt, which, yeah, come on. Come on. It's Mark Hunt. Um, the, the blueprint to defeat Roy Nelson has been there for a while because, as you mentioned, he doesn't employ that, that jiu-jitsu as much as, as anybody, any of his fans would like. Uh, this, if Derek Lewis wins, even though Nelson's lost three of his last four, this could be not like a huge launching pad for Derek Lewis, but then it would be time, I think, to move him into the top ten have him face a top 10 fighter. Uh, wh- what do you see in the career path for Derek Lewis? Do you see him ever breaking in uh, among those top 10, top five guys? 
I think so. I mean, step one is Roy Nelson, right? Let's let's see where you're at. This 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 is one of those those litmus tests that the, the UFC matchmaking team puts together and says, okay, you know what? Maybe you are ready. Maybe you are ready to move up. Let's put you against this guy here and let's see what happens. Now, it always, it didn't, again, it always depends on the way the the fighter wins. If it's an impressive victory, he gets a bigger name. If it's a, you know, a 15-minute sort of bore fest, all right, well, we'll move you up kind of slow. Um, or, you know, you're on call. Be careful if you might get a phone call with, with two or three weeks' notice. But, you know, these types of belts, in my opinion, for Derek Lewis as an example, it's a litmus test to see where you stand uh, amongst the guys that are, you know, let's not call Roy a gatekeeper, to be honest with you, but, you know, some people will, will call him that. And let's see where you are. Let's see if you can get past a guy like Roy Nelson and how you get past him. And depending on that type of victory, all right, here you go. So it, it's, it's you know, a lot of the pressures on both. I mean, we, we can go up and down these three cards and say who the pressure's on. Uh, I mean, the, the pressure's on Roy Nelson in this fight here. But Derek Lewis can really have, a, like I said, it's going to be a launching pad for him. I think one of the, the uh, another one of the more more one of the more interesting fights of that night, uh, Joseph Duffy against Mitch Clark. Joseph Duffy came into the UFC very impressively. He had the the aura of being, at that time, the last guy to beat Conor McGregor. He started off very strong, finished uh, Jake Lindsay, and and uh, I believe he, he won a fight uh, at the Bisping versus Lay test card, too. Got, you know, ran into Dustin Poirier. That's going to happen. Dustin Poirier has, has rejuvenated himself at 155. But for a little while, he looked like he was not necessarily on a collision course with McGregor, but it looked like the kind of fight that they could put together, you know, say if McGregor did lose a fight like he did against uh, Diaz, and they could put him against the other guy that beat him. Um, Mitch Clark is another guy who is looking to bounce back from a loss. He lost to Michael Chiesa uh, in April of 2015, I think it was. So he's been out of the cage for, for quite some time. And before that, I think, he hadn't fought in in a year as well. Is this the right type of fight for Joseph Duffy? Uh, consider you know the UFC kind of has to see that possibility in him, right? The you know, the McGregor thing, but Mitch Clark one fight in the last two years. Is this what kind of fight is this for each man? Is this the right one for Clark? Is this the right one for Duffy? I think this is your first taste of uh, me being careful with my Canadian bias. Because uh, <laughs> Mitch Clark being Canadian, uh, it's very difficult for me to root against any Canadian uh, or pick against any Canadian. But Joseph Duffy, uh, in my opinion, is a, an absolute stud. Uh, and like you said, he ran into Dustin Poirier. And Dustin Poirier right now is on a completely different level. Uh, you know, he, he's got this amazing resurgence. So we can't put, we can't knock Joseph Duffy for running into that crazy, absolute, insane wall that is Dustin Poirier. Now, for Mitch Clark, uh, again. Um, where's the pressure? The pressure's on him, obviously. To, he's got to come out victorious, but Duffy, and you mentioned the UFC and that potential collision course with Conor McGregor, goes back to my money fight. That is a huge money fight, one that you can easily promote. They could get the rights to the footage easily that, that, that show, showcased that first fight. Uh, I mean, they could do TV shows around that. You know, Conor McGregor would go absolutely ballistic, ripping apart Joseph Duffy, and then you'd have a fellow Irishman ripping apart another one. It'd be, it'd be a great, great sell. Uh, again, the country of Ireland would go absolutely ballistic in that fight. But, you know, Mitch Clark is standing in the way right now. Mitch Clark has a habit of, of you know, surprising people when they least expect it. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, kind of looks awkward sometimes, but he can fight. He can tangle. He can bang. And, you know, don't be surprised if he grabs a hold of Duffy's neck and finishes this one. I mean, anything can happen. We all know that. But, you know, I'm going to lean towards the non-Canadian, the Irishman. 
I love the way Joseph Duffy fights. I've heard nothing but good things uh, when he was when he did some time over there at TriStar. Uh, Faraz told me many, many good things about him. So, you know, and, and, and I've watched Joseph Duffy for a very long time as I've watched Mitch Clark. But I'm going to give the edge here to, to Joseph Duffy. And, you know, maybe we can keep that dream alive of having these two Irishmen actually step into the octagon. But, Sean, I'm going to reiterate, don't be surprised at all if Mitch Clark grabs a hold of Duffy's neck and something bad happens to the Irishman. I think you're just setting the stage and you're picking the Irishman. That way you can do like clean sweep for the rest of the weekend, just Canadian guys. I think that's what you're that's setting a really up. That's a good point. Do, but I want to you... say one thing, though. I'm going to say one thing, Sean, only because you went down to the to the to, you know, Joseph Duffy and Mitch Clark, who's going to kick off the main card. I do want to give some love to the, to the fight that's going to happen after them. Uh, Bilal Muhammad against Alan Joben. Uh, for those that are watching this right now, as you can see, I've got my Titan FC shirt on. Bilal Mohammed um, before uh, is the welterweight champ and wins the title and then moves on, gets automatically called by the UFC. And hey, here you go, Alan Joben, right? So he's got a tough fight. Yeah. And, and for anyone that doesn't know Bilal Mohammed, what a nice guy. This guy is just, I mean, I can tell you stories about how this guy saved my behind during that broadcast um, for so many different reasons. He was on, he's in the main event and he's on standby whenever I needed him to do a two- or three-minute hit during the broadcast. And every time we were ready to go, something would happen. I'm like, Bilal, I got to go. I got to go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll come back. And I'd come back half an hour later, and he's getting his hands wrapped. He's like, yeah, Joe, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, you know, I felt so bad despite being told by the truck, listen, we need him. We need him. We got to promote him. We got to do this. We got to do that. And this poor guy's getting ready for a main event for a welterweight title fight that could potentially get him in the UFC. So I got lots of love for Bilal Muhammad. As much as I think Alan Joban, Sean, is a fantastic fighter, my heart's with Bilal in this one here. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, going with Bilal in this as well. Undefeated, a Bellator veteran as well. Uh, yeah, I kind of skipped over that one. Not intentionally. I was excited to talk about uh, Joseph Duffy, though. But yeah, as, as we mentioned, <laughs> as we mentioned, like if, you know, say McGregor does make a permanent move to 155, there is no better, like, non title fight than him versus Joseph Duffy. I mean, you could headline a pay per view with that. And even if nobody knows who the hell Joseph Duffy is right now, they will know who he is by the time that Conor McGregor is done talking about him. That's, that's the beauty of Conor McGregor. If I were you right now, I'd be ducking because every single Brazilian fan that's a Jose Aldo fan is throwing things at you right now, and everybody on the East Coast is looking for you right now. Where do you live? How dare you say Conor McGregor move up to 155 pounds? Frankie Edgar wants a piece of Conor McGregor, but I know exactly and I hear exactly what you're saying. If he does move up to 155, that would be a perfect fight. But I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I know we're, we're going to get it to it. We're going to get to the fight a little bit later on. I really want to see Conor McGregor well, uh, versus uh, Frankie Edgar. This, this, this earlier weight cut could very well be the, the savior of that fight happening because I love that the UFC is doing these, these earlier, weight, earlier weigh-ins. I think it's great. Um, it, like I said, you know, McGregor looked like an AIDS patient the last time he weighed in at 145. It was terrifying. I was I was scared for the man, and then you see guys that you know, did anybody even miss weight during the have has anybody missed weight during an early weigh in yet? Not that I'm aware of, and if you have, you're an idiot. You be, yeah, wow. Thank yeah, you. since <laughs> since since they've been instituted, I don't think anybody's missed weight. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I don't I don't know. And you know we've got an IV ban too, so a lot tons of changes between USADA and IV ban early weigh ins. Man, if you would have plucked a guy from four years ago and just put him down in this scenario, 
it would have been pretty pretty crazy. But I think those early weigh-ins could uh, very well have saved Conor McGregor competing at 145. Yeah, well, the other thing I want to make sure is that I really hope that and I think it's California, the California State Athletic Commission, they're going to start doing the uh, – they may have already started the waterline base tests. I think that's absolutely huge. Yes. We're going to see some fluctuation uh, in, in a couple of these divisions, maybe a lot. Maybe I, maybe every single division will see fluctuation. But these waterline base tests, I think, are absolutely huge. Um, you know, I, I read a whole bunch of studies um, regarding what happens to you know, your kidneys and livers with the weight cuts and stuff like that. And, you know, people will, will – you've got pros and cons on both sides of the argument. I, all I care about is the fighters – they're already giving up so much for us, uh, you know, the media, the fans and stuff like that. As long as they can stay healthy, live until they're 80, 90, 100 years old, I'm a happy camper. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know that they've started those tests, but I know that I don't think they have enforced any rules based on those. The, the tests have started, but, like, there there aren't any fights that have been canceled or anything of that nature. It's It's more of a recommendation than anything at this point. Is there anything else uh, on this UFC Fight Night 90 card that really sticks out to you? I, I like the John McDessie, uh, Medi Baghdad fight. I mean, I think that's going to be absolutely fantastic. But again, I mean, Russell Doan taking on Pedro Munoz. I mean, th- this card is, just, is pretty stacked as well. It's not UFC 200. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I mean, this, this is going to be a fantastic card to watch. And, you know, I think um, come Sunday, you and I are going to be so dizzy. It's, it's, I mean, uh, we might be UFC outed or, or, or MMA just like we've maxed out. We, we, need, we can't talk about fights, look at fights, analyze fights, read stories on Monday or Tuesday because we're going to be exhausted. I guarantee you that. Also, Gilbert Burns looking to uh, bounce back after his first loss. That'll be something to look for as well. Ultimate Fighter 23 finale. Now, we don't know all of the finalists yet, or they haven't finalized it yet, so we, so we won't get into that. But I think one of the most in, uh, they, this card actually has several of the most intriguing fights of the weekend for different reasons. Gray Maynard is fighting at featherweight. Now this is a guy who a few years ago, I say a few years ago, it was like God, what five years ago that he was neck and neck with Frankie Edgar, who is still you know he's running things at featherweight right now. Gray Maynard has dropped four in a row. He's won one fight since uh, beating Kenny Florian in 2010. This is, by all means, probably his last chance to reinvent himself, in the UFC at least, because well, let's be real, if he gets cut, there he's not going to have a problem finding any suitors. What are you expecting of this? Do you, do you think this will lead to a resurgence? Do you, do you think that maybe his time is coming gone? He's 37 years old. To be honest with you, uh, I... I, I... After the, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the Ross Pearson fight. It may have been the Nate Diaz fight. Um, when TJ Grant knocked him out, I was, you know, it wasn't that I was baffled because TJ Grant at the time was on an absolute tear himself uh, and, 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 you know, could have been the world champ. He was supposed to fight Pettis in Milwaukee at the time uh, before his concussions happened. So uh, Hold on. I, I, I want to interrupt you for that. a second there. Sorry. I remember when the TJ Grant injury happened. Do you remember what people were saying about that? Absolutely. They were saying that he was faking, that the UFC had conspired to fake an injury so Showtime Pettis could fight in his hometown. Boy, TJ Grant's milking the hell out of this angle, isn't he? Yeah, right? Like, isn't that just that absolutely – anyways, we, we talked about it so much in, on, on UFC Central back in the day uh, when the show was on. And, and no matter what I said to people, that, look, 
this guy's injured. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm texting yeah. him. I'm talking to him or, or sorry, I wasn't talking to him. We were texting. I was talking to some of his people and you know, he's injured. No, he's not. This is a fix. This is that. Okay. Well, whatever you see, he's never competed in mixed martial arts again. Say it. So I think it's, I think it's insulting for people to say that, but yeah, continue. Sorry about interrupting you there. No, no worries at all. So, so Gray Maynard gets, you know, gets, gets knocked out or TKO'd really from TJ Grant. And then he goes on and takes Nate Diaz and Diaz finishes him in, in what, two and a half minutes uh, in the first round. I thought to myself, okay, you know what? This is the signs here of a fighter that's, that's taken a lot of punches. He, he, he can no longer take those punches anymore. Then he goes and fights Ross Pearson and he's not looking good. And in the second round, Ross Pearson finishes him. And I said, that's it. This guy should reconsider his career, perhaps hang the gloves um, and enough's enough. I don't want to see Gray Maynard and take any more punishment. Uh, and then he takes on Yakulev. And, you know, he loses that fight. Granted, it was by decision. Fair enough. Uh, it is what it is. But now he's cutting down to 145 pounds. So you're cutting an extra amount of weight, 10 more pounds, tons of water, which means less water around the brain to protect your brain from hitting your skull. That's a less, recipe less, for bad less news. CSF fluid. Sean. That is, that's just bad news if you ask me. Now, if he goes in a resurgence, oh, man, good for you, Gray. I mean, love the guy. He's just unbelievable dude. I, I, me personally, I'd rather see his own personal safety, and I, I don't like this idea, but – Prove me wrong. I, 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 if he proves me wrong, I'll be smiling ear to ear. I know it'll be very challenging to watch the fight. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, you, you mentioned that that Gray Maynard not not having it basically CSF fluid in his head, that cerebral spinal fluid uh, as well. I remember a really good good example of that was Roger Bowling, who never really lit the world on fire at 170, but when he dropped to 185 or 155, he couldn't keep the lights on. Like he just couldn't stay awake when people were punching him in the face. Uh, not not necessarily a problem that he had before, uh, maybe to a, a certain extent, but definitely not to the dangerous levels that we saw it. Uh, it's do or die time for Gray Maynard, and you know he. I'm sure that he's aware that you know he's almost. I don't want to say gifted this chance because this this was a guy who was almost the lightweight champion, but he probably knows most guys are out of the UFC by this point. Um, so that's going to be interesting. We got John Moraga, who is always kind of. He exists in the conversation of like top five flyweights, but we we know who the kingpin is there, and, and nobody's probably beating him for a while. Um, he he's fighting on the show. At, at what point, you know? And and again, I don't know how to how to approach this either. He's not going. He's never beating Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. But at the same time, you have all these guys who are. Too small for 135. They ain't beating the champ. So so where where does uh, John Moraga go from here, even with a win? It's not against the name. He hasn't fought a name since uh, – he's not succeeded against big-name opponents. He's lost to Dodson, Benavidez, uh, Mighty Mouse. What's his ceiling? Well, right now for John Moraga, in my opinion, because Demetrius Johnson is so dominant, is A, stay relevant, keep winning, keep fighting – uh, yeah, collect your paychecks. You got to do what you got to do. And, you know, like we talked about a little earlier, you know, you wait for that crazy situation that, you know, where, where, cause every fighter out there has that one guy that just seems to have his number and you hope, you know, it happens soon to Demetrius. If you're John Moraga, you're, you hope that it happens soon to Demetrius Johnson. And then you can start moving your way back up. Keep yourself high in the rankings, keep winning, keep doing your thing. 
or, or continue to win and move up the rankings uh, in the case of John Moraga. And then you just never know and, and just buy your time and hope that Demetrius Johnson somehow, some way, someone, you know, can defeat him. I mean, the, the guy is the most unbelievable mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts on the planet. I mean, uh, everything he does, uh, even when he was, uh, where were we? Vancouver, I think it was. I mean, the guy was just shadow boxing at the media workouts. And I'm like, can you be any more perfect? I mean, the guy is everything he does is, is, you know, like a video game. I mean, the guy's absolutely perfect from throwing combinations. So for a guy like John Moraga, it's just stay relevant, uh, keep fighting, keep winning and, and hope you get that opportunity to fight for the title. And hopefully it's not Demetrius Johnson again. Maybe, maybe it is. You never know, but stay relevant, keep fighting, collect your paychecks. Don't take abuse. Don't take punishment and continue going. Underrated fight on the, uh, the fight pass prelims this show. Jake Matthews, he's won four or five in the UFC, taking on Kevin Lee, who I think I think he's won five of his last six in the UFC. So a little under the radar, two really, really good uh, lightweights. Um, should be a fun fight. Uh, anything you're expecting out of this one? Well, I mean, anytime you mention Jake Matthews, I think main card, despite it being uh, somewhere in Australia, but – at the same time, Jake Matthews was was almost you know we were at one point we were calling him the Rory McDonald of Australia. I mean, this guy has all the upside in the world. I mean, when he lost to James Vick, I was still kind of like, whoa, okay. I mean, guillotine, wow, first round. I, I didn't see that one coming. But Jake Matthews is a fantastic fighter. He's young. Um, you know, he, he he's going to make a mess of this division, I think, in the future. Uh, but the fact that, like you said, he's on the fight paths. I think maybe the UFC is riding the fact that. Everyone in Australia is going to, you know, want to watch him fight. So all those numbers that they want to get increased for for Fight Pass will come from the Australian market or and, and Jake Matthews fans because this guy, in my opinion, to be honest with you, Sean, deserves to be on the main card. I mean, this, this is in my opinion, is a main card fighter at the very worst, a Fox fighter. But I get what the UFC is doing. Again, it's the business model. It's smart. They're going to get a whole whack of people tuning in from down under, and I get it. But uh, he is fighting Kevin Lee. And Kevin Lee is no joke as well. So um, a lot at stake for both these 155-pounders. I mean, we know, we know it, and it can happen, but I am leaning towards Jake Matthews in this fight. Jake Matthews, only 21. He'll be 22 next month. This will be his first time fighting outside of Australia. How do you think that will affect him or how he'll respond? As long as he has the right people around him uh, and, and making sure that, A, he adjusts to the time zone. Obviously, he's already done that. Well, hopefully he's already done that. I mean, yeah, he's weighed in or whatever. Everything is there. Now he's weighing in tomorrow, sorry. But at the same time, competing in a different continent, especially overseas. I mean, we've seen it with North, North, North American fighters going over to Europe. Uh, we've seen it when Europe fighters come over here. We're talking Australia, man. Australia coming over to the States. And, you know, as long as he has the right people that have been there, done that, coach him, and tell him to understand to do certain things, um, you know, don't, don't you know? You, you got to make sure you have the right sleeping pattern. Train at the right time, and and especially with the training camp, the important thing, in my opinion, it's and not a lot of guys subscribe to this. You talk to a bunch of coaches that say it's it's you know it's it's crap. Other ones say no, you've got to do it. If my fighter's fighting at midnight Eastern, he's training uh, from from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Um, and it's very you know. So when you're in Australia, you got to you know, basically take care of that time zone and figure out okay, mathematically speaking, what time am I fighting? When I get to Vegas, if your body gets acclimatized to that, you're going to be fine. It's the worst when you're 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 you know you're training for you no. Know, so it's a it's it's a fight pass card. He's probably going to be on what seven o'clock Eastern, uh, eight o'clock Eastern. No, I would say that's the yeah seven thirty Eastern is when he's probably going to be in the octagon. Well, what's seven thirty Eastern in Australia? Right, 
you got to make sure your body acclimatizes to that. If it doesn't, then you show up here, oh, man, you're going to be out of whack. So hopefully he's been here for a while uh, and, and, and did the right training camp. But, again, anything can happen. This, this, I mean, it, it, it's a fight, but I expect a lot of big things from Jake Matthews. So in terms of, of coming over here, fighting in a new area, um, you know, he's, he's fought for the UFC uh, a few times now. He knows what the big lights are. He knows what the pressure is. I mean, we all remember when he was competing now one time and the Australian uh, fans – had that chant and he raises his hands up and he's clapping with them uh, while he's sitting there basically ready to go tangle with someone. So, I mean, he, it's almost like he's already been experienced. He knows that, but yeah, you're fighting across, uh, across the world. Hope you're ready, son. Another underrated fight. This on the main card, Tiago Tavares, three of his last four uh, last beat Clay Guida, but he's, he's missed. I think it's been eight months since he fought against uh, arguably one of the best, Asian talents in mixed martial arts today in Du Ho Choi, who has you know two and zero in the UFC. You don't see a lot of guys popping up out of South Korea that are doing as well as him. You know they had that that horrible, horrible Ultimate Fighter show in Asia that, that didn't really produce a lot. Uh, you had a guy who had never sparred that somehow made it near the show. Um, that's not the case with this guy. He beat Sam Cecilia also in November. So they both, they both missed about the same – or not missed, but been out of the cage for about the same uh, uh, length of time. Kind of like Jake Matthews, Choi you know, traditionally fights in Japan, South Korea. He did fight in Texas, but only spent about 18 seconds in the cage in that fight. Do you think that affects him, and uh, who you, who, or how do you think this fight plays out? Well, about two fights in the octagon and combined time of less than two minutes. That says a lot. That, that, that means you're, you're pretty good. And you take out Sam Cecilia uh, in a minute and a half or just over a minute and a half. Uh, yeah, this guy is, is technically the real deal. But, you know, you take it on now. This is what I was telling you before about what you, when, when the UFC puts you against somebody, how do you do against them? And if it's a dominant victory, well, here you go. Well, now you got Tiago Tavares, who we all know is, isn't doing very well right now. But... You know, Tiago Tavares is still a tough guy. He's been around the block, you know, four or five times. This guy knows what he's doing. So, uh, again, another fight for, for, for Troy that could potentially – or another fight like we talked about with Derek Lewis. You beat a guy like Tavares, people are going to start raising some more eyebrows. and be like, whoa, you took out Sam Cecilia and Tavares back-to-back? Hmm, what do we do with this guy if you're, you're Sean Shelby? You take a look at this featherweight division. Where do you put him? Who do you put him up against next? So, it is a big fight for him. Totally understand why they're putting him on the main card. It'd be a great way to promote him uh, to the mainstream audience. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins this fight here. But the thing is, though, and, and we say it all the time with these fighters that compete and, and they get these early victories back to back to back, especially early in their career. The first thing I tell them, you need a three round fight, man. You need a 15 minute fight. You cannot continue to win like this because you, you're, you're, you really haven't been tested. You know, the last thing you want to do is to be tested under the lights of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You want to be tested before that. Uh, this guy's had his scraps. He's had his wars. He's had his scraps, whatever. But, um, you know, you come into the UFC, you, you don't want to have that false sense of confidence because confidence is huge to fighters. You don't want to have a false sense of confidence. I don't think he's going to have that. But, yeah, you do want to make sure that you do get, quote, unquote, put your time in uh, in the octagon. This guy's had less than two minutes and two fights. So we'll see what happens. Also, a note to prospects in the UFC, stay the hell away from Brian Barberino, please. That's probably a good thing to do. <laughs> Because uh, that man doesn't care about your hype trains. He does not care. Um, I love him. He's fantastic. He's got, I'm pretty sure he was at the last Titan event, if I, if I recall correctly. I mean, he's just an awesome dude. Yeah, that dude. 
something something special in that guy. I can't put my finger on what's special about him because he looks so normal. Maybe, maybe that is what's special about him, but uh, a machine, that guy. Will Brooks versus Ross Pearson. This one's going to be it's going to be something. Will Brooks coming uh, fresh off of being stripped of the uh, Bellator lightweight championship, being tossed in there with Ross Pearson, um, ha- who hasn't pieced together two wins in a row in like three or four years. But I think this is the right type of matchup to give Will Brooks. It's somebody that that you know, fans UFC fans know. Um, and at the same time, say down the line, a lightweight title fight's happening and you got a guy that pulls out, you can throw Will Brooks right in there. Uh, you're able to do that now, especially with all this trash that's been trash talk that's been going on with him and Eddie Alvarez. Like, uh, he wants Eddie Alvarez bad. How do you think Will Brooks is going to respond? And how long before the UFC pulls a trigger on that Eddie Alvarez Will Brooks fight? Win or loss for either one of the two? Well, if Alvarez wins the title, Brooks isn't getting anywhere near that title. I can tell you that. We, we, we both True. know that. Uh, at the same time, Brooks is younger than Ross Pearson. He's got reach on Ross Pearson. The guy's an absolute animal. And, and Ross Pearson, not that Ross Pearson isn't, but th- this could be a, a surprise fight. Uh, I didn't check the odds on this one here, but I mean, I'm leaning towards Will Brooks in this fight because Will Brooks is no joke. Uh, I mean, that Chandler fight, maybe I don't know if you saw the Chandler fight, that was absolutely sick. And, you know, the fact that he got stripped of the title at Bellator, I mean, I'm not there to make those decisions. Uh, you know, it's their company. It, it, it is what it is, but a perfect opportunity uh, to come to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And, and boom, right off the bat, you're getting Ross Pearson. And Ross Pearson, what did he call him, a zero? You know, he's a nobody sort of thing. And I was like, okay, whoa, all right. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't think Ross Pearson means that at all. It could just be himself mentally psyching himself up. But, yeah, Will Brooks, in my opinion, I think he's going to come up victorious in this fight. And i tell you right now, Sean, I can't see this one going the distance. Yeah, I can't either. I think that Will Brooks steps into the UFC, and as soon as he steps into the UFC, he's potentially top five lightweight, uh, or at least – in their divisional rankings, probably about maybe maybe six, seven overall. But uh, he's that good, and he, he's shown repeatedly that he's that good. I think Will Brooks has taken this. I don't, I don't think it goes past two rounds. Ross Pearson is a super tough dude, but calling Will Brooks a zero, man. I don't know about that one. Uh, obviously, well, you know we- what, Sean? I, I can tell you one thing right now. Um, I, I just checked the odds right now. Uh, the betting public is huge right now on Will Brooks. He's a minus three sixty across uh, some of the boards here. Uh, yeah, so the, the the public knows what's going on here. It's minus three set. He's a minus four forty five at a couple of sites. So yeah, I guess the betting public uh, knows, or it's, or it's just the hardcore fans that know what's going on here. Uh, I don't know. Plus uh, three hundred on Ross Pearson does look kind of tantalizing, but uh, it's what it is. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards Will Brooks, like you said, or like I said before. Speaking of people who like to spend money on sports, do you know what DraftBeast.com is, Joe? Uh, heard of it, yeah. They're a fantastic sponsor of our program. DraftBeast.com. Go there. They have a lot of cool stuff coming up. I was told they have a game where you have to pick the worst possible fantasy team. That's what I'm about. That, that's what I need to be doing. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me at all. That's what I need to be doing, uh, at least at least when it comes to uh, prior results uh, 
in my fan, at least recently, I am a former fantasy football champion. But uh, guys, check out draftbeast.com. Lots of cool stuff there. Uh, you can do mock drafts on there. You can play for free, test your skills, play for money, all kinds of cool stuff. You can uh, take surveys and earn $5 that you can use on draftbeast.com. Just uh, go check them out, draftbeast.com. They're going to be adding uh, more and more features as we go along, and we look forward to our partnership with them. But, yeah, uh, i got to get involved in those mock leagues a little more often because I can't handle going 9-5 and five in my fantasy football league anymore. That's just not cutting it for me. That's not cutting it for me. That's the ego, coming in. That's the ego Sean, right there. That's the ego trying to take over the, the whole situation. Well, the one thing – I mean, the, the, for people that have never seen DraftBeast.com, uh, the logo alone is scary. I mean, that, yeah. these guys are bad, bad dudes who ever put this site together. But the Mock League, in my opinion, uh, is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, back in the day when I was doing a whole bunch of things, even when I had the TV show, um, you know, I, I was around a lot of insiders and analysts from all kinds of different sports. And, you know, they're like, hey, Joel, you're in Vegas like almost every month covering a UFC event. You know, do you gamble? You know, who do you put money on? I'm like, I, I actually don't gamble. Uh, and I, I paper trade and they're like, what's paper trading? I said, I just do my own little mock things, mock fights and how good would I be? And I can assure you I'm terrible. Think up my own money <laughs> if I'm not terrible. So it doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm a hockey junkie being Canadian. Uh, I really like uh, taking a look at, at soccer uh, overseas and stuff like that. Obviously football, NFL football. Uh, I'm getting a taste right now of major league baseball, obviously with my uh, Toronto Blue Jays doing pretty good last year and, and starting to turn around. So yeah. And I talk, talk about MMA and, Taking a look at different stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, draftbeast.com, fantastic stuff right there. I'm a Reds fan, so I don't I don't even want to think about baseball for about probably the next four years, maybe, if, if I'm lucky. Hey, we, we, do have, we do have Joey Votto, though. Toronto can't take him from us, no matter how much they wanted to. So, at least there's you want to do that. Do trade up for uh, Joey Bats? No. No, because I get the feeling that in about, you know, Joey Votto signed that contract that a lot of people, and boy, let me tell you, with some of the hillbillies around here, it's pretty ridiculous. The He walks too much, all that stuff you got to listen to. But I think that contract won't seem so bad here in about four or five years. I mean, you got Dwayne Wade getting like $732 million in the NBA right now, so you, you never know, but. Anyway, oh, by the way, guys, uh, for you wrestling fans that are watching, myself and Vince Russo are doing a WWE mock draft on next week's show ahead of uh, WWE's draft in a couple of weeks. So uh, there you go. But Will Brooks, Ross Pearson, I'm going with Will Brooks just because, you know, I think Will Brooks is, I don't want to say phenom because he's already, he's already proved himself. I don't want to paint him as like some sort of prospect. He's already there. But uh, this is a, one of the more in, uh, intriguing fights. I know I said that a lot, but there's so many of these intriguing fights this week. How's the Bellator fighter going to do when he comes over? We've seen that to mixed results in the past, but he's he's a little bit different. He hasn't even hit his prime yet, Joe. At 29, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, you could make the argument he has hit his prime because he is 29 is he, is years he 29? old. 29. Yeah, like oh, that makes me feel pretty stupid. No, 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 not at all, not at all. The thing is, though, with 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 Will Brooks is 
you know, us Canadians call guys like him gong shows because we just look at him and it's like, he doesn't care. You know, it's, it's yeah. that, you know, Brian Barberina statement, you know, he doesn't care. doesn't care who you are. Let's do this. We're going to fight. We're going to, you know, referee, don't stop this fight till you know it needs to be stopped. And he's that type of guy that's just going to go and go and go and go. And as long as he doesn't put that pressure on himself that, you know, I'm not repping Bellator, I'm repping Will Brooks, I'm in the Octagon now, I'm with the UFC, uh, I'm with the big show, uh, and it doesn't matter what, what my past looks like, now that I finally made it here, Ross Pearson's the next guy in line, Ross Pearson's going to take a beating, and there's nothing else that he needs to be focused on other than Ross Pearson. Uh, do your interviews and do your this and do your that and, you know, make your weight and stuff like that. That's, you focus on that kind of stuff right there. Nothing else should distract him because he can go on a serious run here uh, at 29 years old because if you look at what most mixed martial arts fighters begin, their downhill is around 32. So this kid's got three years to go. You know, I say kid because I'm old, sorry, but uh, <laughs> or I'm older. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there, there's a huge upside to Will Brooks. And honestly, with what you said, Sean, about potentially fighting Eddie Alvarez, oh, I'd love to see that fight, man. That would be a fantastic fight. But let's not jump ahead here, right? True. Will Brooks turns 30 this year. Turns 30 this year. I had no idea. I guess he started in Bellator when he was 26 or 27. I just assumed he was older for, or younger for some reason. Main event, Ultimate Fighter 23 finale, Joanna Janjacek defending the Women's Strawweight Championship against Claudia Gedalia. These two fought before. Very close fight. Many people thought that Gedalia had it. Um, how, who did you have in that first fight? Who did you think won that fight? I think I scored for Gedalia. I think I scored for Claudia, I think. I'm pretty sure I did. And Joanna Janjacek, five-fight winning streak. She looks to extend it to six. Uh, she would tie Ronda Rousey for the longest winning streak among any female in UFC history. That's something to look out for. Now, this fight, very, very close. Both women have been just complete slaughterhouses since this fight happened. I mean, the things that Joanna Janjacek is doing to other human beings, I feel guilty watching sometimes. And I'm not saying that because it's, it's female. I'm saying this is a human being. It just doesn't seem fair. It does not seem fair to send other human beings in there against Joanna Yenjacek. And I completely if, concur. If if there is any, like, you know, if there is any defense of the American, like, fight against the Second Amendment, just, you know, we don't need guns in this country. We need, like, a million Joanna Yenjacek's to just line up and go at whoever's given us problems because the war is not going to last very long. Ioana Janjacek, Claudia Gedalia, and these two women hate each other, and I love it. I love Ioana Janjacek. She is one of those, those people who just gets it. You know, her English isn't the best, but I think that's part of her charm. Like when she looks, she looks at Gedalia from across the, the, the press conference, and she's like, you're lucky I don't hate you. I'm like, man, I love this woman. She's great. Um, this fight is, you know, tough to call on paper, but as you say, they don't fight fights on paper. How do you think Gedalia will respond to the way in which she lost the fight last time? Because, you know, one has to think that she can't count on the judges, or at least she's got to think that. You take a look at these two ladies, and this is a rematch we've all been waiting for, and you look at the betting lines here. You want to talk about value? Johanna's minus 130. She's the champ. 
you'd figure yeah. a champ would be somewhere minus 200. This is the champ here. So um, the public out there, whether it's the bookies or not, trying to make their um, their vigor or whatever, but at the same time, this is a close fight when it comes to betting. I, I don't think it's that close. I think Johanna's that much better since they last fought. Uh, she is a punishing human being. Uh, and just to go back to the comment that, you know, you're, you're sort of, uh, you know, almost correcting yourself and saying, not correcting yourself, but saying, I'm not saying because it's women. No way, man. This is, this is a bad human being. Like she does not have any respect for any of her opponents when she's in the cage. You know, maybe she'll talk it. She's, you know, she's not the Conor McGregor of the female world, but at the same time, she's like, what she did to, to call her Spaza before that fight was she got into her head. And that's what she does. She's going to get into her head. And then when you step into the octagon with her, she's going to punish you. And there's nothing, you know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of arts that make up mixed martial arts. But when you see a Muay Thai fighter punish another human being, it is one of the scariest things to see. Um, you know, for anyone that's ever trained Muay Thai, you know what it's like, what your shins feel like, what your thighs feel like, what the outside of your thighs feels like when you're trying to condition them, what your elbow, what your skull feels like. That's what she does to people. And she does it in a real fight uh, with four-ounce gloves. She you retired know, she Rosie comes. Sexton. You know how tough you got to be to retire Rosie Sexton. Uh, I mean, that woman was a pioneer. And like after Jacek, she was like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> no more. I remember I'm trying to remember what fight it was that I interviewed her. And, and, and I just, I'm sitting there uh, and I'm just, I'm talking to her and I'm like, you are an absolute sweet, and I couldn't even say the word sweetheart in my own skull because I realized who I was talking to. I was like, no, 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 you're a killer. I don't, I don't want I, this conversation is going to, this interview is three minutes long. We've got to get this on the air. Whoa. And, and, and to watch her compete and to watch her fight, she is something else. You know, but Kadea is just, you know, Kadea is good. Like, don't get me wrong. She, she, in my opinion, she has to win this fight early. Okay, I don't know if she's going to pull a Misha Tate, you know, Holly Holm situation where she pulls it off out of nowhere, blah, blah. I think if you beat Johanna, you got to basically beat her uh, when, when hopefully she doesn't come to the cage uh, completely soaked in sweat. Uh, you hope that she's dry and, and you're able to lock in some sort of submission. Um, can Claudia pull it off, Sean? Of course she can. Let's be honest. And she's, she's a fantastic. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Fighter, but like you said, like, like I'm concurring, you know, your, your Jacek is, is a bad, bad woman. And I think we're going to see this. Uh, when these two ladies uh, get into that cage. Now, very quickly, so we can move on to the main card. We've spent a lot of time on the first two. Is say Gedalia loses, whether it be close decision or, you know, first round, first round stoppage. Is there room for a third fight? Because, I mean, that'd be two that, like, Gedalia's lost, and that's that's not a good thing. Um, but the, how close the first fight was, does she, would she have a chance at a third fight? Oh, when you look at the division itself, uh, you know, you could always see, you know, you, you could say yes. I mean, anything can happen uh, at straw weight, but, you know, um, Sparza's there, Nama Yunus is there, Tisha Torres is there. I mean, there, there's people that are coming up, but, you know, they eventually have to get through Gadea, you know, and, and, and if Claudia can pull up, let's say, so, so we're going with the fact that Claudia loses 
uh, in this fight here. Okay, do you want to put that third fight on? It's going to be very difficult for the UFC to convince the public that, yeah, we do want to see it again, unless this fight here is extremely close again. If it's a dominant victory uh, by, you, by, you know, by the Polish superstar, no. I, I can't see Claudia getting that title shot anytime soon. It goes, it goes back to like our John Moraga comment. You know, good luck with that. It's, it's probably not going to happen unless someone else beats her. Uh, and it turns out to be a, a title eliminator fight, number one contender fight. Um, but, you know, the sweet thing is what if Claudia does win? Now we have ourselves a trilogy belt, right? Or we potentially could have a trilogy belt, right? So that, that's easier. Uh, it's an easier fight to put together. But, Sean, we know it. It's MMA. Anything can happen. <laughs> Who knows? And don't be surprised that, you know, we understand that, you know, while Paige Van Zandt uh, is Paige Van Zandt, and, and you know, they, they would love to have her be the champ. Let's just be honest for a sure. second. So don't be surprised if some way, somehow, uh, that fight somehow eventually gets put together, Paige in a title fight. UFC 200. Saturday night, the big one, arguably the most stacked MMA card ever. That Pride Body Blow was very, very stacked, especially at the time. Uh, but this one, this one may trumpet. Um, we will have full coverage on Fightful.com, post-show podcasts, uh, full coverage. Uh, we'll have anything you need to know, start times, how you can watch it, all that good stuff, preview articles, all that stuff at Fightful.com. Of course, follow us at uh, Fightful online on Twitter and Facebook as well. This prelim card uh, has a couple of real cl- crowd pleasers on there. Diego Sanchez versus Joe Lozon, Jim Miller versus Takanori Gomi, also Gegard Musashi versus Tiago Santos. Which of those three fights are you, are you looking forward to the most, and what are you expecting out, out of each of these guys? The old school guy in me wants to see uh, the fireball kid, Takanori Gomi. But the realistic fan in me wants to see Diego Sanchez. That's it. Yeah. That's, I mean, point blank, you give me Diego Sanchez, you know, anytime, anywhere, I'm tuning in. I mean, the guy is just so crazy and, and always puts on spectacular fights. And, you know, Joe Lozon will, you know, typical just bleed, if you know what I'm saying. Like, he'll just, you know, whatever it takes, man, he's going to try to merge victorious and, and silence his opponent. So, but give me Diego Sanchez any time of the day, Sean. I'm happy camper. Oh my God! If you would have told me after the Melendez fights, after after the Melendez fight, after the Guida fight, hey, this guy's gonna be around for UFC 200, I'd have been like, "There's no way, there's no way." You remember that guy Dan Quinn who used to post videos about Stevia on YouTube? You remember him? Yeah. yeah. I remember Diego Sanchez like went and hung out with him and was crediting Stevia for some of his weight cuts and stuff. If you would have told me after that, I sure as hell wouldn't have said he's gonna be around at UFC 200. But. uh Nevertheless, Stevia evidently is the cure because Diego Sanchez is still around, somehow gets some some pretty crazy decisions over the past uh, few years, but he's won two of his last three. I, I didn't see that one coming either. Also a little weird to think he's still only 34 years old. Only and 34 don't always go in the same sentence in MMA, but when it's Diego Sanchez and he's been around for over a decade, yeah, it does. Can't wait to see that. Uh also, uh, I, I thought it was I thought it was good that Tiago Santos got put in against uh, Gegard Musashi. Not a gimme by any means. Uh, this is a far cry from a lot of replacement fights. Uh, Tiago Santos has won four in a row as well. Now, the man that everybody came to see, Sage Northcutt, is on the card. Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe the ladies of the fall of mixed martial arts want to see Sage Northcutt, but we're pretty we're pretty sure there's other people there they want to see. But Sage Northcutt, yeah, I mean he again, 
Um, and, and I hate to say it, Sean, over and over again, he's a money guy for the UFC. They would love this guy to be the poster child of, of so many different events and on, on the front cover of so many different things. And, and, and he's, he's got the look uh, that, you know, any, any mainstream or any promoter that wants to get a product of theirs to the mainstream, Sage Northcutt has it. So they would love for him to go on an incredible run. And, um, you know, not that I'm saying that they're going to protect him, uh, but at the same time, he, he's the guy. And, 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 you know, people sometimes wonder why I say that kind of stuff there. And I, I, the reason why I do say it is put yourself in, in the UFC's shoes. It's a business. Okay, forget it's a sport. UFC is not a sport. Mixed martial arts is a sport. The UFC is a business. And if you've ever owned a business, and I own three, the whole point of business is to make money. Now, I don't run my businesses uh, in a manner that's, gonna, that's ever going to get me in any sort of trouble. Uh, it's not in the public eye. Uh, but the UFC is a business. And the whole point of being in business, Sean, as you know, is to make money. And Sage Northcutt, in my opinion, is money for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So they want to make sure that uh, he does well. Uh, for as long as they can. And, you know, we, we hear it all the time. And this goes back to my other theory that I just wish these guys would get paid a lot more money. Yeah. They deserve a lot more money. So, Well, you need to watch out because Brian Barbarino will show up across the street from each of your businesses, start a competitor, and shut them down. He is the prospect. Partner. That's true. Now, how do you think Sage Northcutt's going to react after after this loss? And do you buy his is, well, pretty much an excuse that he had strep throat uh, against Barbarina. Uh, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever because when he was uh, – I'm trying to get more information from from uh, my pals in Montreal uh, about Sage's stint uh, at TriStar and why he didn't go back. So I, I want, I'm trying to get some more answers onto that as to what happened there. Uh, do I buy he could have had strep throat? Perhaps. I mean, doctors do check them. Uh, before they get into the cage. So, yes, maybe no. Um, how will he do coming back off of that loss? I think he's going to be perfectly fine. As long as he doesn't have strep throat, he'll be fine. Take some Ludens and some Robitussin, and, and you'll be all right. And now we're getting into the real big fights. TJ Dillashaw versus Rafael Sunsau. Now, if I'm a Sunsau, I would have said one of two things over this fight. I would have said, cool, I beat him already. Get me, get me back in there. I'm ready to get a title shot after this. Or I'm saying, hey, man, I haven't fought since October of 2014. What the hell are you thinking? I'm thinking it's probably the former, not the latter. But uh, I was a little surprised that they booked this fight after a Sun Tau has missed almost two years. How do you think he does? He hasn't lost in like five years. He you know, he beat uh, Dillashaw, Carraway, but, uh, and Pedro Munoz as well. But um, – this this has to launch him into title contention if he wins, right? A hundred percent, it does. I mean, uh, for the, for those watching right now, um, the next what, however many fights that uh, Mister Sean Ross Sapp throws my way, uh, I should I should say no comment. Go to my article tomorrow <laughs> on Fightful dot com because that's pretty much what I've talked about. Um, but yeah, man, like if Rafael wins, Dominic Cruz, hello, how you doing, bud? Like yeah. he just took out the. This is this is the. I mean, well, this is the fight that he wanted so bad when TJ was the champ, but he couldn't get the fight. It never happened. Uh, even when TJ defeated Hanabarah the first time, Asunsa was like, "Hello, hey, I'm I'm the champ. You know, I, I beat TJ, and I should get the next title shot. Forget Hanabarah and stuff like that." And then it just never happened. It never happened. Never happened. Well, now we have it. UFC 200. This is going to mean a lot. I mean. 
Um, if TJ does take out Hafiel, does he get a title shot? Ooh. Uh, I mean, I guess you could. The, the, you know, the fight with Cruz wasn't like, you know, I, I, I thought that Cruz won the fight. I, I did. I didn't think that there was really any controversy there. But, yeah, I, I would say so. But, man, then, then you got Faber out of the picture. You've got Dillashaw out of the picture if Cruz beats him. You've got uh, a Sun Sal who would probably be coming off the loss. That would be kind of rough. I mean, you could always, you know, book one against Brian Caraway because people do at least feel emotions regarding Brian Caraway. Something that I worry about for Sun Sal in the 135 division, ankle surgery that, that kept him out for almost two years. That's not, you know, that's, that's not a good uh, injury to have in a division that, that employs so much footwork, especially a guy like Dominic Cruz, especially a guy like Dominic Cruz. I think that's going to be very interesting to see how he responds out of the, not necessarily from being out of the cage that long, how he responds to dealing with such a bad ankle injury, Joe. And of course, Dillashaw has that footwork that's just going to keep him busy all night long. So, I mean, this, this division, it, it's right now, and literally I'm scratching my head thinking about <laughs> it for a second because it is a head-scratcher of a division. Because if TJ does defeat Rafael Asuncao, what do you do with TJ Dillashaw? Does he get that title shot? We don't know. But there's Uriah Faber there. Do you want to see that Uriah Faber-TJ Dillashaw fight? Yeah, of course we do. But what does the winner get? <laughs> they still don't yeah. get Dominic Cruz. So do you really want to put that? So it's it's just strange and this division right now is kind of crazy. It's almost like, you know, if, if the, the MMA gods want you, Rafael Sunsal to actually win, so Cruz does get an, you know, an opponent, right? So, I mean, it, it is what it is, but, you know, Dillashaw, and, and, and I am leaning towards uh, TJ, uh, and hopefully Rafael's not watching this because his brother's fighting next month for a Titan. I'm sure he's going to be in his <laughs> corner. So, uh, yeah, I should, I should watch. I should monitor what I say. But at the same time, TJ is just, he's, you know, Cruz had his number, whatever, man. He's just a fantastic fighter, uh, an amazing scrapper, incredible footwork. Uh, you know, to do what he did to Hayden Burrell, uh twice uh, is, is insane. So, you know, it is what it is, but we'll see. Is that something you get a lot? I've done, I've done a little co- color commentary for uh, a local promotion here. And, <laughs> you know, I think on, this, on the lower, lower regional level, it happens more. But, you know, when people hear the commentary and – they get called out for something they did and they don't like it. They get mad. How often do you get that? Um, I don't think it's ever happened in my case. Uh, I've been accused of being way too politically correct, mm-hmm. uh, but that's just my nature. I, I, I don't tend to rock the boat. Um, you know, I, I, I love um, I love doing color and I love doing play by play. And play by play is really my new forte right now. So I really really enjoy it, but. You know, it's not up to me to to to, to stir the boat, sort of thing, or, or stir the pot. You know, but s- sometimes people yeah. don't understand that. You know, listen, have some thick skin. You know, I'm, my goal is never to insult anyone. My goal is to never. You know, you, I'm being put on a spot. I'm being asked. You know, you and I are both being asked. What do we think of these two fights? What do you have to say? Both guys are going to win. I can't. I'm, I'm asked to pick one. I'm going to pick one, and I'm not doing it in a manner where I'm insulting the other guy. If he takes it as an insult. That is not indicative of my character. That's indicative of his character. So uh, I, I don't, you know, or her, you know, uh, that have I had some some situations where I've spoken to a few fighters in the UFC. They're like, hey, 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 hey. And it's like, that's not what I said. Go back. I've had it with other broadcasters. 
you know, I can't believe you said this. And it's like, well, what would you have said? Right. So I don't, I don't, uh, honestly, Sean, I've been around this game long enough. I think I'm bordering 20 years now. Um, I've I've got thick skin. Um, unless, you know, someone has a comment or or something where it's going to pay for my mortgage, it's going to pay for my bills. I'm going to be me, man. I'm just going to be me. That, that's always my solution. I, I've told two people, I think, hey, if you don't want me to say this stuff, you can pay me more and I'll sit at home and not say anything. That's, that, always, that always works out for me. Um, Johnny Hendricks, Kelvin Gastelum. Again, I, I've overused the word intriguing, but it is. It's very intriguing. Gastelum. What, <laughs> yeah, for both. For both men. Um <laughs> Gastelum looked like he was ready to take on anything. And, you know, he dropped the split decision to Tyron Woodley. He beat Nate Morquart. Shocker at this stage that he beat Nate Morquart. Uh, Neil Magny, he's a, he's a tough one to get by. Johnny Hendricks isn't a lot easier, but maybe at this weight class he might be. Why are these two men fighting at welterweight, first off? Why is that happening? These two guys. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's it's one of those situations when I, I when the fight first got put together, um, I thought of Mike Dolce. Like, where are you, Mike? What's what, what are you going to do with this one here? I, I know there's there's history and stuff like that with with both guys, but uh, interesting turn of events here that these two guys are now competing against each other. And what does it really mean for the division? And for Hendricks' sake, he better win uh, because if he does not emerge victorious versus Kelvin Gastelum, oh boy. Uh, middleweight is going to come calling. Uh, I don't think you're going down to 155. That's pretty much a guarantee. Uh, you're going up, son. Uh, unless you can figure out a way to to stay at 170, you you got to beat Kelvin Gaslam to remain relevant uh, and get back to Robbie Lawler, right? So you know, especially with GSP saying, "Hey, Michael Bisping's a champ." Well, get out and call GSP. Get it to 185. You know, there, there's options for for Johnny Hendricks. I'm the last guy to quote unquote really beat GSP despite GSP having his hand raised. So there are options for, for Johnny, but if he wants to stay at welterweight, you got to get past Kelvin Gastelum on, you know, on Saturday night, son, and it, it better be a pretty good victory. It can't be one of those situations that goes on for 15 minutes. If I'm Kelvin Gastelum and Johnny Hendricks, I'm, I'm getting on the phone, Skype, WhatsApp, Friendster, MySpace, and I'm doing anything I can to get a hold of the other guy. Hey, what are we doing at 170? Can we let's just do this fight at a catch weight of 180, maybe even 185? What are we doing here? We both got problems. Um, For those watching right now, that's actually a genius call by Sean. Never mind. As 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 facetious and joking as you it sounds, it's happened oh, before. Serious. It sounds out right. It, it can be done. Yeah, it's been done before multiple times by by much wiser men apparently. So. Uh, yeah, Johnny Hendricks, Kelvin Gastelum. You, you know, we got two former champions on the prelim card. The prelim card. Uh, Juliana Pena, Kat Zingano. I think this is a great matchup for Juliana Pena. I think it's the right matchup for Kat Zingano. Now, we talk about people bouncing back after some stuff. To, to put it quite frankly, Kat Zingano's seen some shit lately. She's seen some shit. Personally, professionally, all of it. She had a, a huge weight gain as a result of it. Um, and she's coming in to face Juliana Pena, who technically has you know won three fights in her own the UFC, but won three on the Ultimate Fighter as well. She has been untouchable since showing up on that show. Uh, 
She had some legal troubles of her own, but Zingano has spent, let's see, what, 14 seconds in the cage over the past two years, and they weren't a good 14 seconds. It were it was perhaps 14 of the most ill-advised seconds I have ever seen in an MMA cage where she said, okay, we don't have a playbook on how to beat Rousey, but we certainly have a playbook on how to not get our ass kicked by Rousey, and that's getting into the clinch. And she ran and catapulted herself into the the waiting arms of Ronda Rousey. She's back. Now, you know, she she dealt with the loss, uh, you know, of of her husband. That's horrible. It's horrible stuff. Um, she, she had to deal with the things that she dealt with, obviously Ronda Rousey, that loss was devastating. And, you know, she had this, this weight gain that she documented, um, is, can she overcome Juliana Pena with the type of role that Pena has been on? The only thing that can beat Kat Zingano and and, and no disrespect to Ronda Rousey the only thing that can beat Katzengano is her brain, her mind. If she yeah. can be stronger, if she can stay mentally strong, I think she can take out Juliana Pena, who, by the way, is an absolute, uh, just a, a beast. She's well, it can only go up from here for Katzengano. And yeah. I'm sure she knows yeah. that. I mean, that, that fight with Ronda Rousey was just, um, like you said, it was, it was just bad math. It was just, you know, what are you doing, you know? And um, I remember, I'm trying to remember who my co-host was back in the day, and we were talking about, you know, I think this is when Ronda was, and Ronda and Misha were in strike force. Uh, and, you know, how do you beat Ronda Rousey? And, and it was simple. Stay away. Punch her in the face. Do not, under any circumstances, engage with an Olympic-level athlete because she is physically stronger than you. You have only done as high as you can possibly go with American wrestling. These are all her opponents. Uh, and or boxing and or kickboxing. But you're talking about an Olympic-level judoka whose handshake will crush your hands let alone if she grabs you by the elbows, grabs you by the triceps, grabs you around the hips. She will launch you, and her arm bars will be super tight, not Brazilian jiu-jitsu tight. They will be judo tight, which is a different type of tight, in my opinion. Uh, Katzengano chose to, to do what she should never have done. She should have stayed away. Uh, I think she had reach in that fight, and she could have picked her apart, and, and no one ever did that. I mean, even my beloved Sarah Kaufman couldn't do it. She decided to engage Misha Tate, in the second fight, engaged with Ronda Rousey. And it's like, why? Stop doing it. And here comes Holly Holm. And Holly who, Holm. Who, who, by the way, in every single fight that she had before that, no matter the opponent, no matter the skill set, looked like she was just practicing to defeat Ronda Rousey. Every single fight, you would see somebody try to clinch with Holly Holm, even if she could have absolutely wrecked them in the clinch. She immediately backed out and would strike from range. It was like her whole career was in preparation. Well, her whole MMA career was in preparation to defeat Ronda Rousey using this game plan that, as you mentioned, was out there, or at least the idea of the game plan was. Maybe this will beat Rousey. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, I was just looking down at my phone here. I'm pretty sure there's someone tuned in right now uh, that bought me a very thank you a very nice steak dinner when asked my opinion. Uh, about who's going to win between Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey. Um, and, you know, he said Ronda Rousey. I said, this is why Holly Holm's going to win. So um, I got a nice little steak dinner out of it, and it's the way to beat Ronda Rousey. Katzengano 
has that ability and she can do it against Juliana Pena because I actually believe she's a better striker than Juliana, despite Juliana being able to showcase that relentless, just nasty, uh, I'm going to punch your teeth, you're going to eat chiclets for the next 20 or next 15 minutes. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a good scrap. The only thing that I'm worried about with Kat you know, is, is, is her mind. How mentally strong is she truly heading into this fight, considering everything that she's gone through leading up to this fight here? Uh, you know, don't put pressure on yourself. Just realize this is your job. Uh, it's a mixed martial arts bout. Go in there and do your job and deal with everything afterwards. Uh, yeah, Juliana's going to come in there relentless and do whatever you got to do. Take the emotion out. Uh, you know, this is a huge fight because if Kent Zagano wins, and again, you'll see it in my article tomorrow, um, there's a lot at stake here. This division uh, is, is, is crazy. And if Kent wins, remember, she's defeated Misha Tate. So there's, there's a lot of storylines there. Uh, for the UFC, I know Misha's got to worry about Amanda first, but there's a lot of storylines there. I'm not saying Juliana cannot win this fight. I am going to lean towards Kat, provided she's mentally strong heading into this fight, no distractions, uh, and just goes in there and does work. Main card, Cain Velazquez versus Travis Brown. We have inconsistent versus inconsistently healthy. Uh, Travis Brown has shown flashes of brilliance and you know, against Verdum and Arlovsky, didn't didn't quite wasn't able to capitalize. Cain Velazquez, kind of weird to think. George St. Pierre has won in the UFC more recently than Cain Velazquez has. He has one wow, fight. I didn't know that. Wow. His last last win was October nineteenth, two thousand thirteen, against Junior Dos Santos. He has fought one time since then, and he got the brakes beat off of him. And you know, you you had people blaming. The elevation. Well, Fabricio Verdum fought at the same elevation that Cain Velazquez did. Sea level Cain is up there in the annals of history with motivated BJ Penn, pre-diverticulitis Brock Lesnar, those sorts of those sorts of uh, figures. This is an important fight for Cain Velazquez. He's not in danger of you know, falling out of the top five or being cut from the UFC. But as it pertains to being a, a top-level title-contending heavyweight, after all of the injuries that he sustained, this is an important fight. Um, and this, this you know, is a pretty important fight for Travis Brown, too. He wants to prove uh, that he can beat guys that are, you know, a, a caliber above Brendan Schaub and Matt Mitrione. Uh, he can make his career off. Uh, is there anybody left from tough season? He can beat Roy Nelson. There, he's still got a couple guys from season ten of tough to beat. Um, but <laughs> I think that's it. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested in this fight, but I, you know, there are a couple guys, Asuncao and Velazquez in particular. I want to see how they how they look in the cage after all these injuries. Uh, what do you think is going to go down? Well, seeing as this fight's not at elevation, uh, <laughs> I'm going to lean towards Kane. Um, despite, you know, it, listen, Travis Brown just has to land a couple of punches and Kane's in big trouble. Big trouble. I mean, I, I, I joked with a couple of friends of mine saying, can you imagine we wake up Sunday morning and realize Kane Velasquez lost and Travis Brown took out Kane Velasquez at UFC 200? I mean, what will go through our minds as Kane Velasquez was the guy, the one heavyweight we've all been waiting for to go on this incredibly massive run uh, of victories 
and, and kudos to all those people that that were on my Twitter when he did win. Oh, no, he'll lose. Yeah, within two fights, he'll lose. I was like, no way, man. This Everybody is the guy hates, that we man. finally had it, man. He's finally done it. We finally have a guy at, at you know, above 205 pounds, heavyweight champion that's going to go on a run like we've never, ever seen before, uh, and, and, you know, until he stopped off in a town called Fabrizio Verdum. And, and just, whoa, what the heck happened there sort of thing. I was like, oh, man. Now, you know, like you said, I, I didn't realize that, I mean, George St. Pierre won – more fights in Cave Alaska's has in the past few years, which is kind of alarming and disturbing. But you know, if if it, if the Cain Velasquez uh, that I think in my head shows up, uh, you know, Travis Brown's going to have a long night. It's going to be a difficult fight for him. And although you know, even again in, in the clinch, Travis against the cage can cause a lot of damage with those downward elbows. But uh, now I'm leaning towards Cain Velasquez in this fight. Although you know, some weird craziness going on in my head, which I'm sure my wife will probably say, "Yeah, that's that's normal." Um, me, you know, Sean, you and I, all of, all of us around the world waking up on Sunday going, Game Alaska's lost. Yeah. You see, now, if the UFC would have went with the original pitched idea and had a moat around the ring, we would have always seen sea level came because there would have been a literal sea around the ring. But, hey, isn't, isn't Campbell McLaren, didn't he try to put together a, a an offer to buy the UFC? It might happen. Yeah, he did. He did, and, and I was told by uh, someone I, I I can't mention who. Um, you know, Campbell McLaren is an interesting guy, but take what he says with a grain of salt. Sure. Um, who knows? Listen, the guy the guy was there when it started, and realized you know ended up losing it, and now he could be coming back. So you, you just never know. What that whole yeah. UFC sale thing is is driving me nuts. I know it's been something that's been talked about for a very long time. I remember, God, where were we? Could have been Milwaukee. Uh, when Pettis won the title, uh, it was something we talked about with Dana White way back then. So who knows? Four huge fights, marquee fights. Starts off with Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar, interim featherweight championship. A lot of times the interim title gets just thrown around and maybe slapped around where it shouldn't be. I think this is acceptable. When you have an interim, when you have a, a featherweight champion that has booked two fights outside of the division, I think this is fitting. Also, we have no idea if Conor McGregor is ever coming back. Now, Jose Aldo is coming off of a devastating knockout after a 10-year reign of terror. Frankie Edgar arguably maybe has never looked better, even, even during his lightweight title run, because he was involved in some pretty close fights back then. Not so much these days. Uh, he's running through Uriah Faber and Chad Mendez and, Cub Swanson and uh, an allegedly motivated BJ Penn, but um, you know, I in my opinion, I think that that Edgar seems like, he seems like the kind of guy that has looked at what cost him the fights against Henderson uh, and Aldo, and you know, maybe maybe he says the judges did, but he seems like he's corrected the few holes in his game that he even had to begin with. I'm picking Frankie to win this fight, Sean. I'm absolutely picking Frankie to win this fight, despite what Jose Aldo did to him in the first fight, making him pay uh, over and over again. I mean, you know, um, I was lucky last August, almost a year ago now, uh, to to have a trip down to Bahrain. Uh, We're in the Middle East, Hensel Gracie, Frankie Edgar. uh, We were brought down there by one of the princes to to talk about the uh, the team there and putting together the team. And, and, you know, I got to... 
spend a whole lot of time with Henzo and Frankie and some other media guys were with us that were, we just had the time of our lives and really got an inside look um, at, 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 and I've known Frankie for a long time, but an inside look at how he thinks, how he trains, what happened that last Jose fight, his thoughts on Conor McGregor, uh, and, and, and John Cavanaugh was there, by the way, uh, Conor's coach. Uh, so it was all kind of like, okay, we're going to eat over here and we're going to go there and I'll talk to him and sort of thing. And, and you know, and, and ever since then, uh, you know, Frankie bust chops, okay? I'll just say that. Frankie, if, you ever watch, if you're watching this, you're, you're, a, you're a ball buster and you know it and I know it. Um, but the way he thinks and the way he, he analyzes fights is completely different than when he was a lightweight champ. Sounds weird. It sounds weird because he was the champ back then. And, and the way it is now, and then, you know, we have, we got, we had Hensel Gracie there talking about the jujitsu and stuff like that. And it was just like, whoa, this is like bucket list stuff that I'm going through right now. And ever since then, and you see it in his fights right now, uh, you see the way he's competing. And, you know, and the other thing about, about Jose Aldo that I want to talk about is this is a dude that got knocked out cold. Okay. Yeah. Once the brain shuts down once, it can shut down many more times. Okay. I may not have a whole stack of papers that have scientific proof on that, but we've seen it happen in boxing to elite yeah. fighters. We've seen it happen in mixed martial arts. Heck, happens a heck of a lot in Muay Thai. But once the brain shuts down once, the ability to shut it down again can happen. And remember, these guys, like Jose Aldo, where they train in Nova now, those guys are no jokes. You know, like, I mean, this is like, the, I'm not saying it was a shooter box like it was back in the day with Pry, where these guys are showing up uh, to the cage already in big trouble sort of thing. But. I think Josie all of the fact that that you know, his brain's been shut down once, and you know then again Frankie's keeps getting rocked in so many fights, and he just whoop, zombie. He's the real live yeah. Rocky Stallone. He just keeps standing up there. But I think Frankie pulls this one off. It's not going to be easy. Could go twenty five minutes, or sorry, could go fifteen minutes. Uh, so it's a different fight than what we saw the first time. No, it could go twenty five uh, minutes. A lot faster. This is the okay. title fight. It could That's go right, twenty five. Yeah, my bad. My bad. My bad. I'm, I'm looking at the card on my screen right here. <laughs> I didn't see the interim thing there. So yeah, this twenty five minutes. Um, but yeah, this one, I mean, this, this is, could be a long drawn out situation, but it's, it's going to be, you know, this to me, and I know you're a wrestling head. You love your Brock Lesnar. This is my fight, man. This is the fight I want to see. Oh, I mean, I want to see all these fights. I'm a, it's one of the best cards of all time. Now, if Jose Aldo loses three very, you know, blatant options, retirement, which he has spoken about before. 155 or stick around at 145. If he loses, what route do you think he goes? That's an awesome question. That's an amazing He has question. seemed all too ready to retire at times. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I can't speak on behalf of the UFC. I, they'd love to see him probably go. Keep go with your all your comments about not making enough money and blah blah and stop giving us headaches and you know, blah, blah, leave. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if they were happy with him when he actually was the champ and trying to get him to promote certain events and do certain things. But um, he is a great fighter. You know, Dana White did say he was a pound for pound best at one point. Uh, I, I personally would love to see him go to 155. You know, if he loses this fight against Frank Edgar, if he loses, go to 155. Uh, I don't want to see him retire because it's, I still think he has lots left in his tank unless Frankie knocks him out big time. Then I'd, I'd probably think twice about you know yeah maybe you should retire if your if your body's shutting down like that we've seen it with Chuck Liddell you got to go if you're Jose Aldo and you're at 155 
just a world opens up of, of interesting, fun matchups from like Nate Diaz to Donald Cerrone to, you know, you get uh, just run down the list and tons of fun fights there. Uh, women's Bantamweight Championship, uh, Misha Tate defends against Amanda Nunes. This fight is very special in that where Misha Tate is strong, Amanda Nunes is weak, and vice versa. Uh, Nunes starts very, very, very strong and then fades. Whereas Misha Tate, uh, you can carry a shotgun in there and beat her with it for about four rounds, and it doesn't matter. You're still not in the clear. Uh, like I feel like if that fight against Kat Zingano wasn't stopped, Misha Tate, even if she would, she could have been knocked out cold and woke up, she may have found a way to come back and win. She is uh, very special in that regard and has willed herself to becoming a champion when people really thought that she had no chance of ever being that again. Like I said, one starts strong, one starts slow, one finishes strong, one finishes slow. Which way do you think it's going? I got Misha. I mean, I got Misha Tate all the way in this fight here. To take nothing away from Amanda Nunez, but Misha Tate is, you know, she's on top of the world right now. She knows, um, at least I think, and I hope she knows now that, you know, you have the opportunity to really become uh, another face uh, for women's mixed martial arts. When Gina Carano was the face, uh, to when Ronda Rousey became the face, and she saw how, you know, her losing to Ronda Rousey and what Ronda Rousey, what that did to Ronda Rousey and Ronda, what Ronda Rousey did to her own life and career, that could have been Misha Tate. Although I disagree with that because they're different personalities. They're different people. Um, but the opportunity to become the face of women's mixed martial arts, perhaps uh, do your best to supersede what Ronda Rousey actually did uh, is a huge opportunity, but you got to be the champ. So she knows rule number one, defend the title. Rule number two, go on a run. Rule number three, continue to do as much media as possible uh, because your career doesn't last that long. I mean, it's a small window. Professional athletes have small careers. you got to maximize the amount of money you can make in that career uh, or you're getting a job after this is all said and done. The last thing you want to do is get a job when you're the former UFC champion. So uh, I think Misha Tate excuse me, understands <laughs> this. I think, uh, you know, I, I kind of hope she does. I think she does understand it now and, Rule number one is take out Amanda and, and do it in, in, in dominating fashion because right after you is Brock Lesnar and Mark Hunt. So, uh, yeah, get it out there. She's very underrated as an analyst, too, I think. I think that she's really uh, embraced that role and, and done well in that as well. This isn't necessarily – I love all those people that were ripping her when she first did it because I'm a TV guy. I've been around the TV world yeah. for such a long time and a radio guy, and they're ripping her. And it's like, you know what? You put on a suit. You put on a dress if you're a woman. And you get mic'd up, and you get those lights on, and you get a producer or a director going in your face, five, four, three, two, 20 million people watching, and go. By the way, make it my commercial break, too. Uh, get in all the shit that Fox wants you to get in, by the way. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, I think she's done very well. You know, yes. she, she isn't as natural as some of the other guys, like, like Daniel Cormier, but that's because she's not there every single time either. I think she does very well. Correct. Um, you know, this is this is it's a far cry from maybe ten years ago when you didn't see a whole lot of fighters doing that. And now the UFC just they I heard Daniel Cormier at UFC one ninety seven. I was like, that's the guy who needs to replace Joe Rogan right there. That's the guy. He's unbelievable. Um 
so yeah, I think Misha Tate's uh, just going to get better and better, and she has a career after fighting if she wants. Speaking of careers after fighting, Brock Lesnar is in the house. <laughs> Look at you salivating. So, you know, this guy who happens to be the record holder for most successful consecutive defenses of the UFC heavyweight title ever, <laughs> to this day, mind you, to this day, mind you, is facing Mark Hunt. Now, when this happened, I thought several things. Holy shit. And then when they made the Mark Hunt fight, I said, well, why? Why did he agree to that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, it's Brock Lesnar, and he legitimately – he is not afraid of anybody. He believes he can beat anybody. But if I were the WWE, I would have said, uh, hold on here. Hang on here, guys. We got to book this man for SummerSlam, which they have done. We want him to maybe be able to eat solid foods before this event. So uh, how about you give us uh, Stefan Struve? He's top 15. He's seven feet tall. He doesn't react well when he gets hit in the face. Also, apparently, Stefan Struve doesn't like to hit people in the face, which is super handy. He's seven feet tall. Brock can get his hips underneath him, take him down. And if for some reason Brock loses, you can put the old WWE spin on it and say he lost to some seven-foot monster that is a top 15 UFC fighter. That ain't what happened. They did not were, – were you surprised at this matchup? First off, whatever you just said, what you <laughs> just said is exactly, that exactly went through my mind. But I was like, oh, cool. Brock Lesnar's back. Eh, whatever. He's like, you know what? It's going to be a good ticket seller. Uh, he's fighting Mark Hunt. What? He's fighting Mark Hunt? Why in, in, in anything in the name of anything holy are you fighting Mark Hunt? I disagree with this. But uh, as you will see tomorrow, uh, again, I'm referring to the article, I do not do well picking Brock Lesnar fights. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm two and five. Ooh. Uh, so Brock Lesnar has a very good uh, penchant for proving me wrong. Uh, and I kept saying, do not go with what I'm saying, but I'm still going with Mark Hunt. And I, I want to see um, you know, how Brock deals with someone who could strike like that and cause all kinds of punishment. And, you know, and, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll do, he'll do what he's Heath Herring and just, you know, bulldoze him and take him down to the ground and, and hold Mark Hunt down for, for such a long time. But at the same time, Mark Hunt starts landing those punches. And can you imagine, can you oh, honestly man. imagine if he lands one of those walk-off knockouts on Brock Lesnar? You mean to tell me that you think Mark Hunt can knock out Brock Lesnar when John Cena couldn't? That's a very good point. I did not think of that. My analogy is completely incorrect. I apologize. And, you know, we have not really seen Brock Lesnar knocked out cold, ever. We've seen ever. him beat to a pulp. Now, and, you know, I, I don't hate to bring up this wrestling analogy, but have you seen the footage of when he did the shooting star press at WrestleMania 19? Fell flat on his face, got up and finished the match. Yeah, a- I, saw, I saw it, yeah. Not out cold. Not out cold, that guy. For all the reasons I said it was a good idea to book him against Struve, on the contrary, it is a terrible idea to book him against Hunt. Now, I'm not saying that Hunt's like a world-class wrestler, but he is a short guy, not that easy for you to get your, get your hips under. And, you know, you look back at Brock Lesnar's losses. Cain Velazquez, that was happening no matter what. Frank Mir with a different ref in that cage 
Brock Lesnar could have won that fight. You just never know what could have happened in that. Alistair Overeem, uh, the guy was on some stuff. That could very well, under, under USADA, Brock Lesnar would have gotten at least a no contest out of that uh, because he was on some stuff. He was taking his, uh, his uh, hydroxy cut, I, I bet, in his horse meat and taking his Flintstones vitamins and all that good stuff before that one. I think one of two things will happen here. Brock Lesnar may pull like, you know, the Heath Herring. I don't think he'll connect with a punch, but maybe he'll weather a couple somehow and manage to get Mark Hunt to the ground because I fully believe he can keep Mark Hunt down despite the improvements we've seen in Mark Hunt's ground game. On the contrary, I could just as easily see nonchalantly Mark Hunt catching Brock Lesnar with a short uppercut, and that's a wrap. And that is a wrap, and that would be it. Uh, I could. That's what I almost expect to happen. Now, We'll talk a little bit of wrestling here because, you know, we're mandated. We have to. And this is one you could speak on. WWE has him booked for SummerSlam at the end of August. In their infinite wisdom, they are announcing his opponent tomorrow night. <laughs> now, as, as a wrestling analyst, this is perhaps the dumbest thing you could possibly do. Because then you are cornered no matter what. Uh, which, I mean, you know, they could very well say Triple H, and then, you know, they'll be like, Triple H beat the UFC guy. He's so tough. When um, Triple H on uh, boxing pads looks like women in my kickboxing class on their first day. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be the fight. Do you think that was a bad idea on WWE's behalf? I think so. I, 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 I would not have done that. I'd have, I'd, you know... I think they're trying to obviously capitalize on on the hype right now surrounding Brock Lesnar. Um, but they I, haven't promoted it whatsoever. Not a, not an iota, not a mention yeah. on their show. They will. Oh, they haven't. No, they they haven't mentioned Brock Lesnar in the UFC at all. No, I mean, they will afterwards, especially if he wins. But all the eyes right now are on Brock Lesnar in the mainstream. They're mm-hmm. going to feed off of that. Sure. Right. I would imagine that they would have at least promoted it, but I could I could see why you know unless he wins, they kind of just want it to die down, which you know leads me to believe they aren't getting a cut of this pay per view. They probably got a flat fee or some sort of exchange or something of that nature. But yeah, that's, that's a hell of a co main event. Hell of a co main event. The main event: John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. Don't know if you've checked out UFC Embedded this week. Daniel Cormier looks shook. He looks shook. <laughs> like John Jones crawled up his nostrils and lived in his nightmares to steal a quote from Mike Tyson. Like this guy, no matter what he does, and the dude was partying nonstop and just dominated Daniel Cormier. Uh, I think the fight with OSP was a great thing for John Jones. He needed that. I think uh, tune-up fights are are severely underutilized in the world of MMA. Uh, I want to I want to get your perspective on this fight. Uh, maybe Daniel Cormier's mental state, the new John Jones. I use these air quotes for those of you who are listening on audio, and I'm using them very <laughs> liberally. Um, well, what you think, Joe? Um, 
I still think it's going 25 minutes. I still think that that as long as 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 DC can keep his emotions in check, because John won't. John doesn't care. That John's going to do what John's going to do. Um, you know, it's it's he's just so good. John Jones is just so good. Uh, nothing would be cooler than to see Daniel Cormier defeat John Jones by some sort of finish uh, and have that really really cool story behind him. But um, I, I think it's going to go the distance. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it does a stoppage, but I do believe it's going to be 25 minutes of, of a back-and-forth battle, um, and, and DC is going to do what he has to do to, to keep this fight going because he, he's, he may never have another – he may never have another opportunity to punch – John Jones in the face for the rest of his life. So he probably wants to capitalize on these 25 minutes to get as much of a beating into John Jones as he has, despite the fact if he's going to lose uh, the fight and, and for John Jones. And he's just, you know, I, I, I don't know what John thinks sometimes. Um, I've known him since he was always young. He's still young, but I'm, you know, he's something, it's just, he's got that, I'm going to bitch slap this guy mentality over and over again. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stalk and slap him as many times as I want. That's what he wants to do to DC. Uh, so there, there's emotion in this fight, and I don't think there should be emotion in a world title fight, despite what is said and what has happened in the past. I think you got to just go in there and be focused. But um, you know, I think it's going to go 25 minutes, and I think you know it's it's going to be a great scrap. It's going to be one of those like I'm, I'm looking at it going who's going to win the first round and how they're going to win it. And then what happens when you get to round three and how much energy is going to be left. And will this guy take a break in round four, like a Machida versus Shogun. And just so we can get to round five and pull off some sort of crazy victory. And we saw what happened with Misha Tate and Holly Holm and you know, the, the, the spirit and the heart, it's just there's so much going into this, but it's just the emotional baggage that these two dudes bring into this fight, uh, which is that one sort of mystery. Uh, we know it's there, but what is it going to do to either one of these fighters? I think that Kat Zingano's fight against Rousey, Aldo's against McGregor, and Silva's first fight against Weidman are real indications that emotions and buffoonery have no place in world title fights. We have seen the evolution, not necessarily of Cormier and Jones' fighters, but certainly as personalities over their feud. We've seen, you know, John Jones' personal struggles really come to light. Daniel Cormier is kind of like, I don't want to say a bully. But he comes off a little bit like as a bully who finally got punched in the face because he wasn't like he was, you know, he was not necessarily beloved, but he was a popular guy beforehand. Now John Jones failed a drug test, hit a hit a pregnant woman in a car, uh, missed a year, and is getting cheered at press conferences. And he's not even trying to really hide. He's like, you know, I've made some changes, but I'm not like an angel or anything. He's not even pretending anymore. But um what do you think this does to Daniel Cormier's psyche if he loses to John Jones? He, just, he, he needs to put a black shirt on with white writing that says WTF. <laughs> what is just going on here? Like, you know, I'm supposed to be the good guy here. Why, why are these people cheering for John Jones? I mean, this is the most well, hated guy in mixed martial arts. What's up? I see him on, like, UFC Tonight and stuff, and I started to notice it on that. Like, he would – pick on like Kenny Florian and Dominic Cruz. And I'm like, this guy's a little bit of a dick, like not, not like all the way in. And I know that's not why the majority of people are, are booing him, but I, I kind of see it, you know, that he's like, Oh, well you're a little, so I'm going to say this. I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. But um, also if he loses and he said that he won't do it, but he moves to heavyweight, he's an immediate top five guy. 
again. His buddy isn't the champion anymore. And if Cain Velazquez loses on the same night that Cormier loses, what do you think that does for Cormier's chances of maybe moving back up to heavyweight? I think it does amazing things for DC to go back up to heavyweight because A, he can go after that title and he could probably win it uh, mm-hmm. only to have John Jones come knocking on his door in <laughs> two years. Could you imagine? Yeah, no, I'm serious. It's going to happen. You would, you would have to right? just – you would have to put an IV of water to dilute all the sodium and saltiness in Daniel Cormier's system if that were to occur. Because right now, John Jones has said he's not that interested in going to heavyweight. But I bet, I bet if Daniel Cormier does and wins that title, John Jones is like, you know what? How can I screw with this guy just a little more? John Jones is a hell of a troll, among the best I've ever seen. Um, So there's that. Yeah, we... We have three big cards this weekend. We'll be back with a, another podcast this weekend. Joe will have uh, more content up on the site, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, you guys can go. Uh, it launches Thursday, July 7th, uh, if you're listening to this on the 6th. I mean, you may be listening to it after it launches. Who knows? You can go there, register, and you get all of our free exclusive content. No cost at all. All kinds of cool stuff. Exclusive interviews. I've been speaking to UFC, Bellator, uh, TNA wrestlers, all kinds of people for this launch. We have tons of content ready to go up. And, of course, you get Showdown Joe all the time, my friends. Joe, this is our first time really ever speaking on camera. Our podcast won't generally be this long. But, you know, this is arguably the biggest week in MMA history, maybe. Maybe. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure to come on here and, and, and to talk about uh, – it's funny that you know we talked about it beforehand. It's like, great, our first show, three UFC events, yeah. International Fight Week. You know, Next week when we're doing one show, it's like, all right, well, that was five minutes. Uh, okay, yeah. well, have a good night, bye. It can only get easier from here is the way that I look at it. Uh, I prepared all this content for the launch, and I was like, damn, there's a WWE draft coming up. There are about – you know, 9 million WWE UFC crossover stories to do. And we are a crossover site. We're covering uh, pro wrestling, boxing, and MMA, anything under the sun. And right now is maybe the hottest crossover period in boxing and MMA as well with Conor McGregor and all this stuff. And Nate Diaz always saying that he wants to box everybody under the sun and all this good stuff. Guys, Fightful.com is the place to be. Fightful online, Twitter, and Facebook. Check those out. Joe, it has been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much, Hemian. And uh, we look forward to doing this every single week and uh, seeing how many critics can rip us apart on social media and how many UFC fighters are like, really? Did you guys say that about me? Great. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm being paid well. I'll take it. Guys, until next time, we are out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.